Good morning, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. Today is Tuesday, June 15th. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning, David? I'm doing well. Um, I was just thinking, you know, back when David Lee Roth separated from Van Halen, he released an album called Crazy from the Heat. And I always thought that that was a cool name for an album. And I'm sure that the type of crazy from the heat that he was talking about was you go out and you carouse and you make bad decisions and you, you drink and you hang out with women. But I'm feeling crazy from the heat after several consecutive <laughs> upper 90s days. And my version of crazy from the heat is to sort of just shut down and want to sleep all day. Yeah, I think yesterday was 99 or 100 in parts of the Denver area. And today it's going to be in the mid to upper 90s again. Yes, it's uh, it's oppressive. I would call it oppressive. But that's not what we're here to talk about today, right? Right. Today we're going to read a press release by Joe Mullen of the Electronic Frontier Foundation from June 10th. And I found this fascinating. Um, oh, and a brief note also. So today is our normal format, but we encourage anyone listening today to check out yesterday's episode, episode 84. We had a different format. We interviewed Torsten Hoffman, the director of Cryptopia, the film about cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and the future of the internet. Um, so if you have a chance, check out Sons of Sequoia, episode 84. It was a fantastic interview with Torsten, and uh, he made a great film. So we encourage you to check that out. Now, today, we're sort of continuing on the line of technology topics, and we're reading a press release from the Electronic Frontier Foundation uh, by Joe Mullen entitled, 15 Universities Have Formed a Company That Looks a Lot Like a Patent Troll. Um, so I think one, one of the reasons I like this press release is that it starts with an explanation of what a patent troll does and how they do it, and I think that's a good thing to know about, don't you? Uh, yes, it is because it it uh, it's pr it does happen, and a lot of people do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so the thing about this article, and also the universities that have created this this uh, um, LLC, is that uh, the the danger is being classified as a patent troll, and uh, the question is, are they going to be that or not? And uh, the article kind of raises an issue. And it's it's going to be good to talk about. Mm -hmm. And also talk about both, I think, uh, because the Sons of Sequoia talk about both sides of the issue. Uh, they did it, so obviously, or apparently, they think it's a good thing to do. Uh, on the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like a good thing to do. So, you know, let's talk about it. Why is mm -hmm. it good? Why is it not good? Yes, and we'll get to a lot of this stuff in the future. But, I mean, as we go through the article... But I think one of the things that universities are saying is we're doing primary research and it's being taken and people are making millions or billions of dollars off of it. And why don't we get in on some of that action? I think that's the rationale behind this, right? Uh, that's a lot, a lot of it, yes. And that that's a decent point. That would be when we look at both sides. There's a reason why they're doing this. There's just... It's not just to be bad. They have, right. they have a rationale. But the Electronic Frontier Foundation, God bless their 
Hearts does not like patent trolls. And I've, I've always had some respect for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. You know how when you're not involved in an industry, you sort of see a organization, like a non-governmental organization that's fighting for, for certain things, like your right to privacy, your right not to be tracked. And they're a very principled organization, but you don't know if you want to go full send and be like, they're great. But the things that I've seen that they've done, I've appreciated and understood. Now, people will say, oh, they had a wacko leader or something, you know, and like you don't want to fully associate yourself with them. But from what I've seen, I've respected a lot of the work of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So I don't know their whole story, but I know that they've done work that is respectable. Okay, in this article... Uh could be considered both sides because they're talking about universities and they're talking about a negative thing, a negative con, uh, connotation of what they've done mm -hmm. with, the, with the LLC. So it's it's an interesting article. It's an interesting subject, but also it's an important subject because it doesn't just look at universities and doesn't look at just patent trolls. It also looks at education and our society and uh, what's happening in our society today. There you go. <laughs> hey, it was the glare from my chrome dome. It was shooting, a, did you see it? It was shooting a ray of light up. Yeah, yeah. It was, like looks, a, it was like a vertical halo. Yeah, that looks better, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, nice logo. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so should we get into the article? Yeah, let's get in the article. I'll read the first couple paragraphs, and then we can stop because I like what he's done. Let me see if it looks good if I pull us up or if I'm in the way. If we're in the way. Um, oh, no. We can do this. Okay. Uh, I like his explanation of what a patent troll is, so we'll sort of discuss that, and then we'll get into the meat of the article. Fifteen universities have formed a company that looks a lot like a patent troll by Joe Mullen of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Imagine this. A limited liability company is formed for the sole purpose of acquiring patents, including what are likely to be low-quality patents of suspect validity. Patents in hand, the LLC starts approaching high-tech companies and demanding licensing fees. If they don't get paid, the company will use contingency fee lawyers and a litigation finance firm to make sure the licensing campaign doesn't have much in the way of upfront costs. This helps give them leverage to exact settlements from companies that don't want to pay to defend the matter in court, even if a court might ultimately invalidate the patent if it reached the issue. That sounds an awful lot like a patent troll, and that's the kind of entity that the Electronic Frontier Foundation criticizes because they use flimsy patents to squeeze money from operating companies rather than making their own products. Unfortunately, this description also applies to a company that has just been formed by a consortium of 15 large research universities. I think that's a fascinating lead in, don't you? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And uh, the uh, it is a good description. It's a good loose description. Uh, and I would say this is, uh, to be fair, this is outside of my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I understand about a patent troll is that, yes, they will do what he says, uh, but they will use pretty much any means possible uh, to get a settlement. Uh, and sometimes it may not be illegal, uh, but it certainly may be unethical. Uh, 
uh, and that's under the uh, the uh, definition of a patent troll. Mm-hmm. And so, in using a title, you know, um, one negative thing, uh, one negative part of this is looking at the uh, title using the term patent troll in it, uh, kind of labels it, and so uh, has a negative connotation. Uh, on the other side, he explains it here, but he doesn't explain, explain it in such negative terms. So they're kind of doing both sides there as as they're moving into this article, mm-hmm. from, from what I tell, what I can see. Now, I, I sort of agree with him, though, because the whole purpose of a patent troll is to do exactly what he's saying. It's to squeeze money out of operating businesses. You know, you you buy a war chest of intellectual property, and then you sort of deploy it against people to get them to pay you money for you to go away. And that's a viable business model, but I don't know if that's a noble business model. Yes, you're right. That is what a patent troll is. And notice he doesn't say it is a patent troll. He says it looks like a patent troll. But what I'm saying is just using the term patent troll mm-hmm. says, oh, all the universities are a patent troll. He doesn't say that. That's true. He says <laughs> what they're doing looks like a patent troll. And yeah, they are. But to be a patent troll, you have to take the law and use unethical means mm-hmm. uh, to be a true patent troll. Uh, it's not that they've done that. It's that, well, they've set the stage. They have the framework. They have the LLC, uh, and uh, they have it set up, and they can do just like a patent troll. So are they or are they not? He didn't ask that question, but the point is, uh, he says, it looks just like a patent troll. Mm -hmm. They can move in that direction, but then again, they don't have to. And so the article is, is, uh, draws attention. Yes, definitely. uh, But because of the term patent troll. I just want to, I just said that up front. Mm-hmm. Okay, so shall we continue? Sure. This patent commercialization company has been secretly under discussion since 2018. In September 2020, it quietly went public when the University of California Regents authorized making UC Berkeley and UCLA two of its founding members. In January, the DOJ said it wouldn't challenge the program on antitrust grounds. That's fascinating. So... It quietly went public because UC Berkeley and UCLA are public universities. So the regents had to vote on it, and those hearings are public. Now, when Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Brown joined, those hearings don't need to be public. Fascinating. That's that's so sort of academia side note, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, I, and probably because they were public universities— the DOJ is not going to challenge them on the grounds of antitrust grounds because they're public universities. Also, even though it's 15 of the most premier research institutions in America, there's a lot of universities out there with people doing research. So how could it be an antitrust thing if it's just 15? Yeah, it might be 15 of the largest research facilities, but there's hundreds of research universities. So mm-hmm. uh, it's good news when universities share technology with the private sector. And when startup companies get formed based on university research. That's part of why so much university research is publicly funded. 
but there's not much evidence that university patenting helps technology reach the public. And there's a growing body of evidence that patents hinder it. Patents in this context are legal tools that allow someone to monopolize publicly funded research and capture its promise for a private end. While larger tech companies can absorb the cost of either litigating or paying off the patent assertion entity, smaller innovators will face a much larger burden proportionately. That means that the existence of this licensing entity could harm innovation and competition. When taxpayers fund research, the fruits of the research should be available for all. With 15 universities now forming a consortium to license electronics and software patents, it's going to be a mess for innovators and lead to worse, more expensive products. That's very strong language. But the Electronic Frontier Foundation is not a journalistic outlet. They're an advocacy group. So, so yeah, I don't blame the guy for having strong language. Well, one thing, one thing that he says in here that... Uh... Uh, is uh, interesting. He says uh, in that next to the last paragraph. Uh, let me let me find it here. Yeah, uh, the second sentence. Uh, that's part of why so much university research is publicly funded. Mm hmm. Well, the trend in the United States is for research, even public research, uh, uh, public universities, uh, to have less and less uh, government funding. And they're relying more and more on tuition. And when the funds from the state uh, begin to dwindle, then it forces the university to start thinking of other sources of funding and the other sources of funding uh, would move to the business sector. Mm -hmm. And so what that much of university research is publicly funded, that has been the truth. That's that's been the truth in the past. But what's happening is that a lot of states are moving away from that. Yes. And, I, the, and, the, and this this is one of the uh, prop. This is one of the problems of not funding public research because it doesn't help society. Yeah, even though it does help society. And I think that people have shown, you know, you get 20, 30, 40, 50 to 1 dollars invested in public research to return in the marketplace. Now, they do a lot of research that goes nowhere. But most research that goes anywhere starts in a university. You know, there's very few independent research facilities out there that are not tied to some sort of higher education uh, institution that are doing research that winds up in the marketplace. Well, it's almost like we said last time, but the, the, the podcast yesterday uh, with the uh, Bitcoin and blockchain and cryptocurrency, there are people who are pushing the technology, pushing the horizons. There's another group of people who are uh, naysayers. They say no another group of people who are taking that technology and actually using it and putting and implementing it into practical uh, uh, results. And uh, well, research is the same thing. Uh, the universities are based on uh, primarily basic research, uh, but from that basic research, they can also have applied research. And so you can have applied and basic research, but then 
even a basic and applied research then can be can be uh, distributed to applications within industry. And I think there's where they're looking at where the money is coming in. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the money in basic research is not immediate. Yes. Uh, the, re- the return on investment in basic research is not immediate, uh, but it's longer term. And that's why it's relegated to universities and not industry or government or military, because mm-hmm. their research is immediate. Uh, and in industry, their return on their investment of research, uh, I know in some industries they say, if we're not getting our money back and start building in six months, then we're not going to do it. But the university is long term mm-hmm. because they're state funded. Also, like their research is for the purpose of scientific inquiry. It's not for the purpose of building a less detectable bomb or, you know, putting patent to use in a product that you can sell a million units at a huge profit. Their research is we know something we didn't know before. And maybe 20 years down the line, that knowledge may work its way into consumer goods or services, you know. But a company can't be like, well, I'm glad that we spent $10 million to know something that might make us money 20 years from now. Companies don't think that way. Uh, no. But u- universities do. Uh, historically. Yes. Because they had, they had the uh, public funds to do that. But when you start cutting public funds, and also another problem with universities uh, and the the, inter, the uh, intersection or the the uh, relationship between universities and and uh, public funding is that the voters see universities as teaching institutions only. They don't really understand the research, mm-hmm. and, and so they say, "Oh well, you know, uh, we're supporting our schools, and we they're, all they're doing is teaching." And so why should we pay universities uh, more money than we do our kindergarten teacher? Says, well, because they're not doing the same job. Mm-hmm. They're doing something very, very different. And so part of a university is research. Part of a university is transferring that research either through publications or through teaching students coming through or through internships uh, and that's not what K through 12 does. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question for you, just sort of expounding upon what you said. You know, as the public dollars have dried up, more money that gets diverted into research comes from tuitions. That's why tuitions have risen. Now, do you think the pandemic may have revealed that you can conduct the activities of a university online and your physical campus? Your institution, it can be commoditized. And so your primary source of income now, which is tuitions, there's not as good of a value proposition as there was before the pandemic. And I think there's been less and less of a value proposition for the cost of tuition as more and more resources have become available online to learn exactly what you would learn in a university. I mean, you can get a university education if you know where to look for free online. Now, it may not be validated by that institution. So as the value proposition of the cost of tuition goes down, they need to find an alternative source of revenue because that's their main moneymaker. If the public funding is not going to come in, they say, well, we're doing all this research. Why don't we have a patent office that enforces patents that we create within the halls of our institutions? And that sort of makes sense from their perspective. Yeah, it's definitely it definitely is a motivation in that direction. Absolutely. Um, 
and uh, you're right, the pandemic has revealed a lot of things. Uh, online education uh, does, is not relegated to the universities. And uh, because online education uh, has a broad spectrum of rigor, of ap applicability, and, uh, and so you're right. Uh, university says, well, wait a minute. Uh, before, if we're, if we're relying more and more on tuition, uh, and then how do we get the students here? But then the students can get the same education online within a, within a company, within, a, within industry, then we need to do something uh, to, uh, to uh, advance our, our revenue. So what they can do is, as you say, commoditize their education. So it's not necessarily the education that they're actually uh, promoting anymore. It's degrees mm -hmm. because what they sell is degrees and it just justifies uh, and validates their education. Yes. So someone can say, yeah, I, I took this course online or I took this course at university and I have a degree. Well, the, the implication of a degree is that you have in-depth knowledge of the subject. Mm hmm. That doesn't mean you have the in-depth knowledge of the subject and, and actually applied the knowledge of the subject from online education. So the university is saying we need to kind of meld these two together. And so there's where the commoditization of education is coming in. So you pay tuition by, you take tuition type dollars for like almost like what you see as a subscription to Netflix. Mm -hmm. And there's when you start commoditizing education, you're going to take that instruction and say, okay, I've got to lower the cost of the instruction. The tuition stays the same. My profit increases because the public dollars are drying up. And so I think we can understand functionally why universities would do this. But the Electronic Frontier Foundation, they don't have empathy. They have principles. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, and their principles are being a patent troll is a bad thing. So let's talk about what they fear this consortium will do. Low quality patents by the bundle. Despite the explosion in university patenting and the growth of technology transfer offices, essentially university patent offices, the great majorities of universities lose money on their patents. A 2013 Brookings Institute study showed that 84% of universities didn't make enough money from their patents to cover the related legal costs and the staffing of their tech transfer office. Just a tiny slice of universities earn the majority of patent licensing revenue, often from a few blockbuster pharmaceutical or biotech inventions. As many as 95% of university patents do not get licensed at all. This new university patent licensing company won't be getting any of the small number of impressive revenue-producing patents. The proposal sent to the UC Board of Regents explains that the LLC's goal will be to get payment for patents that have not been successfully licensed via a bilateral one-patent, one-license transaction. The university's proposal is to start by licensing in three areas, autonomous vehicles, Internet of Things, and big data. In other words, they'll be demanding licensing fees over lots and lots of software patents. By and large, software patents are the lowest quality patents, and their rise has coincided with the rise of large-scale patent trolling. 
The university LLC won't engage in the type of patent licensing that most actual university spin-offs would want, which are typically exclusive licenses over patents that give it a product or service no one else has. Rather, the LLC will focus on non-exclusive sub-licenses. In other words, they'll use the threat of litigation to attempt to get all competitors in a particular industry to pay for the same patents. This is the same model pursued by the notorious Intellectual Ventures, a large patent troll company that convinced 61 different universities to contribute at least 470 different patents to its patent pool in an attempt to earn money from those patents. I think it's fascinating. They say, why should this company make money when this consortium of... We have all these dead patents. No one wants to use them. But if we start threatening litigation, we might be able to squeeze money out of industries. That's sort of what's going mm -hmm. on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's that's what this article is saying, but uh, I don't know. I don't know that much about uh, this this area. My question here, David, would be: uh, Are they saying this because this is what they could they could do? The potential is there uh, that they are doing it. They have been doing it. Uh, it's. It's not clear to me that uh, that this is exactly what what's being ha what's, what's what's happening today. It's what they fear will happen based upon the structure of the company and what the regents the the do, the public documents released to the regents, right? They haven't yeah. done this yet. No. So, yeah, uh, there any any legal thing you can misuse and be unethical about using using law mm -hmm. uh, anything. I mean, even just the traffic cop that stops you, stops you on the road, mm -hmm. uh, they can take you in for all different reasons. So the 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 uh, so yes, when someone has the opportunity, when someone has the means and the motivation and the ability to do something unethical, does that mean they will? Um, it um, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not. Now, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, though, their thing is to say, wow, these documents released in this arcane hearing at the California Board of Regents show that this consortium that's being formed looks an awful lot like these companies that do this thing. And we're sounding the alarm bell. This won't be on the public's radar at all. It's watchdog groups like this that say this is somewhat concerning. And I think that the work mm -hmm. they're doing is good. I think I, I, whether I agree with it or whether I don't agree with it, I think it's good too. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, people like this watchdog groups should be everywhere to say, what about this? What about this? They could be right. They could be wrong, but let people say things, let people talk. Mm -hmm. I agree, David. I agree. So speaking of what about, we go into what about the public interest? The lawyers and bureaucrats promoting the UC patent licensing scheme Okay, the language is becoming a little bit more negative. When you call something a scheme, um, I don't know if that's, I mean, I'm sure that's a technical term, but do you know what I mean? Like his, his feelings about the issue are coming out more and more as the article goes on. So, hold on, let me take a sip of coffee. <laughs> uh, that's what I mean. Uh, they're, they're drawing attention to it, but then if you enrage them, then people start listening to it, and then hopefully we'll come to the truth. So what about the public interest? Yes. So I will also say this guy, Joe Mullen, 
although he's a good writer, he's writing for a non-governmental organization that is an advocacy group. He's not a journalist. This is not, let's take an objective look at this. This is basically a press release that's saying, this is the Electronic Frontier Foundation's position on this. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And there's a difference between there's a difference between the two. So the lawyers and bureaucrats promoting the UC patent licensing scheme know how bad this looks. Their plan is to use patents as weapons, not tools for innovation. Exactly the method used by patent trolls. In the pros and cons section of the memo sent to the UC regent, the biggest con is that the University of California may incur negative publicity, e.g. allegations may arise that the LLC's activities are tantamount to a patent troll. So that's in the language itself. That's why the memo seeks to reassure the regents that it is the expectation that no enforcement action will be undertaken against startups or small business firms. This apparently, quote, this apparently non-binding, quote, expectation is small comfort. The goal of the patent-based LLC doesn't seem to be to share knowledge. If the universities wanted to do that, they could do it right now. They could do it for free. They could do it for a contracted payment. No patents required. The real goal seems to be finding alleged infringers, accusing them, and raising money. The targets will know that they're not being offered an opportunity. They're under attack. That's why the lawyers working with the UC have promised the regents that when it comes time to launch lawsuits against one of the predetermined targets, they will steer clear of small businesses. The university LLC isn't going to license their best patents. Rather, the UC regents memo admits that they're planning to license the worst of them. Technologies that have not successfully been licensed via a one-patent, one-license transaction by either UCLA or UC Berkeley. To be clear, the universities aren't patent trolls. Universities are centers for teaching, research, and community. But that broader social mission is exactly why universities shouldn't go off and form a patent holding company that is designed to operate similarly to a patent troll. Patents aren't needed to share knowledge and dealing with them has been a net loss for U.S. universities. Universities need to rethink their tech transfer offices more broadly. In the meantime, UC regents should withdraw from the licensing deal as soon as possible. Other universities should consider doing the same. The people who will benefit the most from this aren't the public or even the universities, but the lawyers. For the public interest in innovation, having the nation's best universities supply a patent trolling operation is a disaster in the making. The 15 members of the University Technology Licensing Program are expected to be Brown University, Caltech, Columbia University, Cornell, Harvard, Northwestern University, Princeton, SUNY Binghamton, University of California, Berkeley, UCLA, University of Illinois, University of Michigan, UPenn, University of Southern California, and Yale University. Some of the top research facilities in the nation. Would you not agree? Yes. Yep where uh, uh, much of the research is being done. Mm -hmm. I think this is a fascinating article just because the author, let me get his name, I can never remember their names, you know, Joe Mullen, I think he did a great job sort of expounding on the EFF's position on this and why he doesn't like it, you know? Well, just in passing, just between us, David, Mm -hmm. it's interesting what universities are not there uh, a lot of the engineering universities are not there. Yes. And they and they do have a lot of uh, engineering patents. Mm-hmm. And so these patents are more software patents. 
that, that he was saying, and software patents that uh, probably have a, uh, a limited uh, application. And so in order to have uh, litigation, uh, you have to kind of broaden that definition of the applicability of that of that software. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, that's just an observation. I don't know the details. Again, this is I don't know a lot about this uh, the details of this. And I would I would argue that Harvard, Yale, Caltech have strong engineering programs. They do. <laughs> they I mean, do. Um, so just to take a look at the author, Joe Mullen. He's a policy analyst at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Let me uh, hold on real quick, get rid of our picture. So it looks like patents and patent trolls are a important topic for him. Um, he covered legal affairs for Ars Technica and the American Lawyers Magazine Group. He wrote for the Associated Press and Seattle Times. Um, but if we look at his most recent work, this university has formed a company that looks like patent trolls. Washington State sued a patent troll for violating consumer protection lawsuits. How a camera patent was used to sue nonprofit cities and public schools. Um, so his last three articles are about the dangers of patent trolling. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that the companies that are patent trolls say, no, what we're doing is defending our intellectual property. And on some level... Some people are defending their intellectual property, but if that's your whole business model, I think he has a point that it's it's insidious and it sort of takes productivity away from the overall economy. Well, I think that uh, my view on this is that I think that it's a good it's good for him to for for these these groups to say, wait a minute, let's blow the whistle, let's look at what the negative aspects of this is and what. Uh, this would go really wrong. Uh, and then listen to the other side. Uh, well, we're doing this. Why were they doing this? Why did they keep doing it? It's been around for a while. Uh, they're just they're just consolidating universities uh, to do this. Uh, so why are they doing it? And uh, I think it's good to hear both sides of the issue to make sure that that both sides uh, have a voice. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think the article, and uh, what he's doing is is good, uh, but he is talking about patent trolls and trying to. But he, it's one side, and uh, we don't hear what the, you know. We do have the border regions. Uh, if you read the border region, uh, the memo to the border regions, mm -hmm. uh, they they do talk about just what they're doing, and they didn't talk that much about uh, uh, the value. Well the value to the university, but also the value to the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's more nuts and bolts, not so much big picture, uh, like why we're doing this. So it's an interesting article and uh, it's a good topic uh, beyond just patent trolls and just beyond what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's a good topic with education, online education, uh, and also the... Uh, the intersection of education with industry and our society. It's an important discussion. Yes, and I think that, you know, Joe's aversion to patent trolls, he's got a good point. And he's worried that this organization looks an awful lot like a patent troll, and the internal documents that he's uncovered 
from the University of California system looking into this, even say there's going to be negative blowback from this because we're going to be behaving just like a patent troll. And I think that his points at the end are well taken, where the universities probably won't benefit. The, certainly the companies that they go after won't benefit. They're just going to be leeching money. It's, the lawyers are going to benefit. So someone does stand to benefit, and that person is the patent lawyers. It's, uh, mm-hmm. fasc- it's a fascinating and sad development. I, I agree with him. I mean, I know that patent trolls have sort of stifled innovation and, you know, taken out young and startup starting companies in addition to sort of just leeching money off of established companies because they can. And I don't like that. So I know that you can both sides it, but I, I'm with him, really. Hmm. Uh, I'm not necessarily with him, but I'm not against him. Uh, I just say I don't know enough about the subject area to to have a judgment. Uh, but on one hand, uh, my thinking is uh, from not being in the middle of it, but from the outside looking in. On one hand, I say uh, it is good that he's he's questioning uh, this organization and what it could do. Again, when you have the structure, the ability, and even the motivation to use it as a patent troll, you can. That doesn't mean you will. Uh, but on the other hand, why are they doing it? Uh, why why have they done this? Why are they doing it? Are they being forced to move into areas that they've never done before? Uh, but maybe they're trying to protect their faculty. Mm-hmm. They're pr- trying to protect uh, what the faculty have been doing because uh, maybe their uh, laws... Uh, and uh, and mission statements do not allow faculty to benefit from their research. And so maybe they're trying to protect their own faculty. And there's, I think the university's rationale is in the article. In, in my opinion, he says, look at this. The universities don't make money off of patenting their research. Um, the only ones that have have a few blockbuster patents with biotech firms. And the rest lose money. There's the reason. There's the reason they're doing this. They don't want to throw good money after bad. They've already invested millions in patenting their research. A lot of their patents they're holding, no one wants to license them. So what do they do with their war chest of intellectual property? They weaponize it against industry to extract money from it. And... And they're sitting there with a weapon. It's like uh, Lord of the Rings. It's like the Ring of Power. They say, we can use this. We can use this in our war. Um, it may not be the right thing to use the Dark Lord's Ring in our war, but we have a weapon, and we're fighting a war. We can use this, and we've, we've paid money. We've paid millions of dollars for these patents. They haven't made us a dime, but they could. That's, I think that's the rationale. I think that's a rationale. And I, so I don't dis, I don't disagree with you. That, so that could be. So Joe Mullen's argument that, listen, they don't make money off of these patents, so they shouldn't do this. And it's like, no, they don't make money off of their, these patents. That's why they're doing this. Because they've spent money for these patents, they've lost money on these patents, and those patents are sitting there, and they're never going to make a dime unless they weaponize these patents. And that's why they're weaponizing them. They have it's, they have an asset. It's like you mm-hmm. build a giant gymnasium on your campus, and uh, 
and you don't let anyone use it. And then you say, well, maybe we should let our basketball team use this. You know, they might get better at basketball if they have their own gymnasium. And you say, no, basketball, we don't, we don't want to do that. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? They've invested in this asset, and it's, there's a way that they could monetize it. That way is just sort of a little unsavory. Well, another, another danger is that universities were established as centers of learning mm-hmm. to where you expand the learning and you transfer the learning to society. And uh, it, uh, historically, universities have been dedicated to learning that without, uh, without political or, or social uh, uh, negative forces away from, from learning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also they, they have been funded so that they are not going to be driven by profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, there is a danger where if you're going to start using weaponizing, as you say, uh, these patents to make money, well, how's that going to change the culture within university? How's that going to change research from the beginning? How's that going to change teaching? Mm-hmm. How's it going to change how faculty interact with faculty, how departments interact with departments, how departments interact with staff, how, de- how staff interacts with students. It's all, if it's all about the money, then, oh, this student can't pay. We don't want scholarships. It's giving away money, so we'll eliminate. So there's so many things that's not driven by economics within the university that is this, is this going to be changing the culture within the university? I think that's a great point. That's a great point because you can optimize for something. Um, and if there's a feedback loop, the more junk patents you put out, the more money the university makes. Will there be right. attention diverted away from, you know, basic science, basic research, you know, scientific inquiry, uh, pushing the state of scholarship forward on every subject when it's like, well, that's, you know, pushing the state of scholarship forward doesn't make us money. You know what makes us money? These junk patents. And so, so it incentivizes the creation of junk patents, not the creation of knowledge and understanding. That's right. That's right. Because historically, universities were established to, to generate knowledge, all kinds of knowledge. Uh, and so is this going to change that to where now, ah, oh, don't do that. That's not going to, that's, that's not junky enough. <laughs> uh-huh. And so we need, and also if you're going to start, if money starts coming in, this is the other thing too. If, if when money starts coming in from sources, wherever they're coming from, Within a university that's that's tight on their budget, that's going to gain attention mm-hmm. with uh, the administration. This is wait a minute now. Uh, we have money here. We have money here. This is going to have more attention than the other, uh, simply by by nature of the dollars and cents yes. and the numbers. And you could bring in um, a chancellor or a dean or whatever, someone that's in charge of, you know, looking over a president of a university system. And when they report to the regents, they say, look at how well the numbers look. You know, when I took over, the numbers were in bad shape. Now the numbers look great. And they would say that before they'd say, when I took over, people were pushing forward the state of the art on scholarly and academic inquiry. Now the numbers look great, but nobody's doing that anymore. So what's the point of even having a university? 
Well, what happens is if that happens, when you start moving in that direction, the university becomes less a university and more of a, just a training center. Uh, and so they can be beat uh, by industry. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to start going bankrupt. It's a wild, wild time. And I think that a lot of this stems from what you said initially when we were reading the article at the beginning of the episode is a lot of the public funding for universities has dried up. And so they're finding alternative sources of revenue. And that typically is higher tuitions and creative things like forming a company that looks an awful lot like a patent troll. And and I think this has been an excellent discussion. Um, I mean, do you have anything to add on this subject? I think it's fascinating, don't you? Yeah. uh, Well, the only thing I would add backing up and looking at it is that this is uh, an important article. And actually what Mullen is doing, I really agree. You need people blowing whistles and, and raising issues. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you need to look at all sides, you know, and there's nothing wrong with taking one side and pushing it. There's everything wrong with never listening to the other side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, actually, that's what universities have stood for 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 decades and over 100 years, mm-hmm. is that we don't look at just what's politically uh, advantages or socially uh, acceptable. We look at all sides. Mm-hmm. Universities look at all sides and uh, driven by scientific inquiry. And so, and also uh, different types of uh, Scho- scholarly uh, inquiry because it's sc- not just scholar- science. Yeah. No, scholarly inf- inquiry too. Uh, but uh, it's good to, it's good to look at the, these types of things, but it's also important to understand what the universities are there for. And I think that, I think more importantly, is to communicate that to the public, uh, to the voters, to the legislatures for public institutions, uh, even for the donors for private institutions, understand why they're there. It's not just about the money. Uh, It's about the public good. And uh, you can say that and they nod. They go, yeah, well, well, I'm not giving to that. Well, I'll give you a couple bucks, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is, if if the university began to go away, or a university starts shifting toward more of a business model rather than an academic model, uh, and the business model grows relative to uh, an academic model, uh, then what's going to happen is going to be devastating to our society and our economy, mm-hmm. and uh, so in our industries, uh, primarily our society, and then that just permeates to the uh, to it permeates to the industry and it permeates to the politics on how the country is being run and so universities are a foundation of, of freedom mm-hmm. I just uh, uh, but that's a different I- issue but I say there's a bigger picture here and uh, what he's saying is good mm-hmm. uh, but we need to step back and think of other sides and step back even further and say, why do universities exist? Understand that on how valuable they are to uh, to our society and our country, in every country. Well, I think that if you accept his premise, this is my final thing. If you accept his premise that this move is not in the public interest, they're trying to make money off of 
they don't want to throw good money after bad. They've already paid money for these patents. It's time to start enforcing them. Um, but he says universities need to rethink their tech transfer office, uh, offices more broadly. The region should withdraw from this licensing deal as soon as possible, and other universities should consider doing the same. The people who will benefit from this most aren't the public or the universities, but the lawyers. For the public interest in innovation, having the nation's best universities supply a patent trolling operation is a disaster in the making. I think there's validity to that analysis, but for the universities, you have to say, where are we going to replace that revenue stream from? Because dollars and cents are dollars and cents, and we think that with this patent trolling business, we can supplant any losses we've had in public funding. We can supplant losses we've had in tuition because of the pandemic. Um, and so it's good to say that's not the appropriate revenue stream for a university. But like both sides in it, I agree with it, is where are you going to find that revenue stream to sort of keep your institution solvent? And are the universities being forced to do these kinds of things? Be yeah, because of the changing landscape in higher education. Okay. And... You know, if some universities go out of business, that would be bad, but it's, I, I think there will always be universities. You know, there will always be centers of learning in this nation, and I just genuinely hope that they continue to do high-quality research, even if they do have a patent office on campus. That's my, that's my parting hope. The contribution of universities is much more to a civilized society than it is to a profitable industry. Much, much more. Mm -hmm. So I think we could leave it at that, right? I want to, I want to, I want to end with that. All right. Should I play the outro music? Sure. It's going. Okay, David. Yes. Sons, Sons of Sequoia podcast. We say keep on talking, but listen to both sides and try to understand what each other is saying. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We'll be back with more content. Please like and subscribe if you're on YouTube or subscribe to us on any of the plat uh, podcasting platforms. Take care, and we'll talk to you in the next one. Bye.